You know, there are some very interesting shows on modern television. I don't know if y'all y'all have seen this. Um, just by show of hands, I know we get interactive occasionally. Just by show of hands, has anybody ever seen the show Undercover Boss? You ever seen this show? I love it. Uh, my favorite part of the show is the look on people's face when they realize that you know the person that they've been, you know talking about how much they can't stand this company and how much they don't like working here and da 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 is actually the CEO. Um, that they've been in there in you know the kitchen or they've been you know doing laundry with them or they've been doing you know they take the boss and they put them in this undercover atmosphere where the people who actually work for them have no idea that it is their boss who is serving them who is working with them. And then at the end of the day, the boss, usually the way it works is they find somebody who really is an inspirational story and they do something really neat to help them out. And then occasionally you find somebody who all they did was they talked about how, oh, I don't want to work here. I wish I didn't work here. I wish I didn't work here. And the boss is generous and they grant that person their wish to. Um, so the, the show's really interesting. And it makes you think just a little bit about who is your boss? Who is the person that you who's the person that you work for? Now I'm not talking about your, your place of employment. I'm not talking about your job. Um, I'm, I'm talking about here. I'm talking about in your Christian faith. I'm talking about in your spiritual life. Who is your boss? Who is in charge? Who is the person that you are responsible to? I had a professor in seminary tell me one time, and he said, if you're wise, you'll listen to me, and you'll carry this attitude with you wherever you go and whatever church you're serving in. He says, in no church I have pastored have I ever worked for that church. And everybody kind of just was like, huh? He said, oh, don't get me wrong. You know, whatever was on their paycheck, that church's name was on the paycheck, but I didn't work for them. I worked for the Lord Jesus Christ. I serve at His pleasure. I do what He tells me to do. I preach what His Word says to preach. And if that church in the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ ever diverge, I work for my boss. And if that means I no longer am employed by that church, that's what it meant. Who's your boss? Who do you serve? Who do you answer to? Who do you respond to their voice as it is a voice of authority? Well, in today's passage in Ephesians, Paul is trying to communicate to... Or Gala, I said Ephesians. We finished that book. In today's passage of Galatians, Paul is trying to communicate to these people, God is my boss. The Lord Jesus Christ is my boss. I serve at His pleasure. I obey His commands. And I answer when he calls me. I do not work at the beck and call of... I do not try and impress other people. I'm not in it for the recognition of other people. And this provides a powerful corrective to the way we ought to live our Christian lives and the way we ought to think about the world in general. So, if you'll stand with me out of the respect of the reading of God's Word, we're still in the first chapter of Galatians. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to go down through verse 24. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers." But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother." Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God I do not lie. Afterward I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that you would teach us 
the, the value of selflessness in making us worthy vessels for your use. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I was dealing with a church in Galatia who had had folks come in preaching a false gospel. They were preaching a lie. And Paul had to communicate with them via this letter you're reading, the book of Galatians, to tell them, I am shocked that you are departing from the gospel that I preached to you, the gospel that you first heard, the gospel that saved you, the gospel that gave you your identity as Christians. I'm shocked that you have departed from that and you're now following what these hucksters have brought in trying to make a buck off of you. From you're, you're not listening to the truth. You're listening to people who are in it for their own self-gain. Well, these folks had begun uh, kind of downplaying the authority of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul has gone through explaining up to this point, up to verse 11, that he is an apostle. His apostleship, his messengership is from God. He's not serving at the behest of people in Jerusalem. He's not serving you know, under the umbrella of some other person. He's serving under the umbrella of God. So I want us to look today at a couple of truths about service to God and answering His calling. The first is that no earthly qualifications suffice for God's calling. What do I mean when I say that? I mean that it does not matter how many degrees you have. It does not matter how long you've been, you've been in a church. It does not matter how many books you've read. It does not matter uh, how many trainings you've been through. It does not matter how long you've been in Sunday school. If God calls you, if you do not have the calling of God on your life, you cannot step in and serve like someone who does. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. If you are a Christian, you're called to service. If you're not a Christian, but you've got all these qualifications behind your name, that does not suffice. That is not good enough. That's exactly what Paul was dealing with here. He had all these men telling him, or telling the church in Galatia, well, you need to listen to us. We're from Jerusalem. We have all these qualifications. All these people know us. Why would you listen to this nobody? Listen to us instead. Paul says in verse 11, though, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. The Holman Christian Standard translates it, the gospel preached by me is not based on human thought. Read your Bible, and that is a very believable verse. Just open up your Bible and think, is this something that people would have come up with? I vote no. I don't understand the folks who say, well, this, is, this book is just an invention of people. Okay, compare it to every other religion on planet Earth. The ones that are made up by people. Compare it to every other religion on planet Earth. Every other religion provides you a list of things that you have to do to make God happy with you or a list of things that you have to do to make whatever there is out there happy with you. Whether it's God, whether it's God's, whether there's not a God, but there's this you know, impersonal force that you've got to keep happy, which I don't understand how something that's impersonal can be happy or not happy, but that's an argument for another day. Every single one of those has a list of things that you have to do to earn a good life. Christianity is the one religion that's not like that. Every other religion says do, Christianity says Done. Does anywhere else in the earth, does anywhere else on earth work that way? Does your job work that way? Do you show up, get paid first, and then go to work? Now, I know some jobs work that way. It's not a perfect analogy, but anybody in here, do you show up, them hand you your paycheck when you walk in the door, and then you go work because you're so happy that you've already gotten paid? No. You probably punch in your time card or you keep up with your hours or you've got a salary agreement that says I, I agree to work and accomplish these tasks or work this many hours in response for this type of pay. That you work, you earn the pay. You earn the pay. Maybe some of y'all watched Georgia beat the brakes off of Georgia Tech yesterday like I did. I loved it. Do you know what happens if you're an athlete on one of these teams? 
and you don't perform, you sit on the bench. You don't get to go on the field. It doesn't matter your sport. Basketball, football, baseball, it doesn't matter. If you don't perform, you sit on the bench. You earn it. Nothing else on planet Earth works the way Christianity does. Christianity says God has done everything necessary for you to have a relationship with Him in which He is pleased with you and happy with you and loves you. And out of that love, we serve Him. So if nothing, on el- if nothing else on earth is like it, the most logical explanation to me is then it probably didn't come from this earth. The gospel preached by me is not based on human thought. The gospel preached by me, this is the English Standard Version, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. The NIV, the gospel I preached is not of human origin. Y'all, I'm a Southern Baptist. Not just because I was raised one, but because I believe it's the most logical way to interpret this. I believe this is the inerrant, infallible Word of God, authoritative, and the final authority in all matters of faith, life, and practice. That is what I believe about this book. When I stand up here and I preach out of it, I'm not preaching my opinions. And Paul's going to talk about that in just a minute. He's not preaching his opinions. It's not about him. It's not his gospel. It's not according to man. He says, I neither received it from man, verse 12, nor was taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that Paul never sat down And had someone give him the ins and outs of the faith. That means Jesus himself reveals this to Paul. It came straight from Jesus. For those of you who are familiar with it, you remember the Damascus Road? Paul had Jesus revealed to him. Paul found out exactly who Jesus was. And Paul's about to tell us what he did after that experience. That he didn't come get this from the other apostles. This came from Jesus himself. Which means if you have a problem with Paul's gospel, you have a problem with Jesus' gospel. You don't get to just push it off on some other guy. So God is calling Paul. God has called Paul. He has revealed the gospel to him. And now verse 13, Paul says, For you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism. Now we're going to stop and we're going to talk about this a little bit. Why does Paul go immediately from saying, this is not my gospel, to saying, hey, you remember my conduct in Judaism? I'm going to tell you a story and I'm going to leave names out to protect the guilty. I personally know someone. I will not tell you from where. I will not tell you from when. That had a pretty spotty reputation in town. Multiple kids, multiple different parents. Drunk, kind of, kind of person you did not want to run into in a back alley. He'd beat you up and not even feel bad about it. Wouldn't even remember it the next morning to apologize. And then, in a miracle of miracles, he met Jesus. Let me tell you what this man did. He called the various mothers of every one of his children and apologized for his previous behavior. He said, I never should have put you in the situation that you're in. I never should have left you alone with that child. And I know there's nothing I can do to undo what I did then. But if there's any way I can help and support you and my children now, I'll do it, even if it beggars me. You want to know what got some people's attention? That did. He stopped drinking. He was no longer the town drunk. He didn't fight anybody anymore. Sang loud during hymns. Cried during them sometimes. I'm not making it up. I watched it. I didn't read this out of a book of illustrations. I saw it.
Paul brings up his former conduct in Judaism for the exact reason that I tell you the story about that man. Because everybody in town knew that guy. You didn't have to be told about him. You knew him. Which means when you saw his life take that hard right turn, even if you care about what went on in the church, you saw something going on regarding the church outside its walls. And you said something in the world, something's real about this. Something has changed in this man. Paul says, you, wanna, you want proof that this gospel is not something a man made up? Look at what it did to me. He says, you knew of my former conduct in Judaism. One of the early church fathers, John Chrysostom, said the reason Paul brings this up is Paul said, sure, I've made a claim that Jesus revealed this to me. There's no way you can know if that's true other than me telling you. He said, I, I can tell you that Jesus revealed this to me, but you weren't there when he did. You can, you can take that or leave it. He said, but one thing you do know is you know the kind of man I was. You've heard of my former conduct in Judaism. Listen to what he did. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. This was not just somebody who didn't like the church. Paul was a full-fledged, yes, I'm going to use the word, he was a terrorist. A professional, governmentally, religiously sanctioned terrorist. Rome was fine with what he was doing. The Sanhedrin, the religious authorities, were fine with what he was doing. He would go into house churches and drag men and women and children out and take them to trial. He was a terror. He persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. If you'll remember Stephen, the first martyr, some of you maybe remember it, Paul was there holding the coats so that people could throw bigger rocks. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And then I gave this to you on your handout, Philippians 3, 4 through 6. You want to talk about works that may qualify you. Paul says, I was a religious scholar under Judaism. Let me tell you my qualifications. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day. This was literally the first thing that could happen to a Jewish child. Okay, This was the first religious activity a Jewish male child could take part in. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the tribe, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He could trace his lineage. He was not a proselyte. He was born and bred original nation of Israel Jewish. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. This was his way of saying, you ever heard somebody say he was a man's man? This was Paul's way of saying, I was as Hebrew as a Hebrew could get. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees get a bad rap a lot of the time. Because when you read your New Testament, when you read the Pharisees, we usually think of them as these are the folks that, that Jesus had, had the most trouble with. Right? These are the guys that, that set up the kangaroo court and put Jesus to death, and they lied and they ran their mouth and they were constantly arguing with him. But they get a bad rap. But Pharisees were not always all that bad. Let me tell you where Pharisees came from. After Israel came back from captivity... There was a time period where God had brought them into the promised land and they disobeyed and they disobeyed and they disobeyed and they disobeyed. So finally God disciplined them by sending them into exile. In the southern kingdom, there were two halves of Israel. The southern kingdom went into exile in Babylon. And while they were in Babylon, they repented. And they said, we're here because we've disobeyed God. We didn't pay attention to His laws. We didn't pay attention to His commandments. And God did exactly what we talked about in Sunday school this morning. God, God did exactly what He told us we were going to do. We disobeyed Him, so He took us out of the land. So here's what we're going to do. We ever get to go back, we're going to obey His laws. We're going to be so intent on obeying His laws that we're going to make rules about the rules to keep ourselves from breaking them. You ever known anybody like that? 
That they'll make a rule about a rule just to make sure they don't break the original rule. That was the Pharisees. They came, it came from a good place originally. They wanted to obey God. They were, in Paul's words, zealous. So when Paul says concerning the law of Pharisee, he meant, I cared about God's law. I cared about what God said. You, I, was try, I was keeping that rule book like you would not believe. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He was so zealous for the traditions of his fathers that he said, no, this church does not look like the church, the church. This does not look like the synagogue I grew up in. This does not look like temple worship the way it's supposed to be. Jesus does not look like we expect the Messiah to. So if they're going to blaspheme by saying He's the Messiah, then I'm going to take them out because God deserves the glory. Paul was actually serious. Paul wanted to glorify God. It wasn't selfish. He was just mistaken. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Why does this matter? Because this is to the people. Paul is writing to these people specifically, one, to say, hey, let me tell you where my authority comes from. It comes from God. But two, he's telling these people, do you know anybody that bless them? They are so intent. They want so badly to please God. They do. But they're mistaken about how you do that. I'm going to not cuss. I'm going to go to church. I'm going I'm to not drink. I'm going to not smoke. I'm going to not cheat on my wife. I'm going to not cheat on my husband. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to keep, I'm going to make God happy with me. I'm going to try hard. And they're zealous. You look at them, they're moral people. You'd look at him and say, that's, that's, that's a good old boy. He tries hard. He works hard. He's, he's just good folks. She's just, she's just good people. And they try hard and they're serious about it. But they're mistaken. Well, Josh, what are you saying? Is there anything wrong with doing this? No, there's nothing wrong with doing those things. I'm just questioning what you expect to get out of it. Do you think that that's going to make God happy with you? Let me tell you what Paul had to say immediately following these. Philippians 3.7, we ended 3.6. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. See, while all those moral actions, while all those good things you do, they make us happy. They make you respectable to people. They give you lots of credibility to people. But do you know who they don't buy you any goodwill with? God. Paul says he, count them, he counts them rubbish so that he may gain Christ. Paul said, it took Jesus knocking me flat on my back and blinding me on a Damascus road for me to figure out that I was mistaken about who he was and it did not matter about how zealous I was, how hard I was trying, how hard I was working. If I got who Jesus was wrong, nothing else mattered. And once Paul figured that out, Once Paul figured that out, his entire life was different. His entire authority structure was different. What do I mean? Y'all, I, I, here's your homework. Here's a challenge for you. Go home and read some of the letters of Paul. Was Paul the kind of guy who said the kind of things that win friends and influence people? No. Not at all. In fact, he says some pretty controversial stuff a lot of the time. Why does he feel comfortable saying that? Well, 
Well, pastor, I don't know if we can do that. That might rock the boat. That might upset some people. Paul, I don't know if you should say that. That's going to really make some people uncomfortable, and we want church to be comfy. Here's what Paul had to say, and I didn't put this on your handout because it's in the book of Galatians. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. Do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul says, I'm not interested in chasing the things that might qualify me to you. I know who called me. I know who I serve. I know who my boss is. I want to serve him. I want to keep him happy by obeying him. I want to serve him. I want to do what he calls me to do. Not what everybody else necessarily expects me to. He counted all of his earthly accomplishments loss. Verse 15, but when it pleased who? God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Look at this, God's grace out of all of Paul's accomplishments and education and things he learned. How many of those had he accomplished while in his mother's womb? None. And yet, that's where God set him apart for service. This is God's grace. If God has called you to serve... Listen, Christian, I want to encourage you. If you're sitting in here and you're a Christian and you go, well, I think God is calling me to do something. I think God is calling me to serve in this church. I'm going to deviate. I was going to make this announcement later. I'll say this and then go back to the Bible. Y'all, we need more people to volunteer to work in the nursery. Is that scary? Okay, let's go back to the Bible. I think God's calling me to do something. But I'm scared. I don't feel qualified for it. I don't feel like I've got the training. I don't feel like I've been equipped. We love that word in the church, don't we? Equipped. I don't feel like I'm equipped to do it. This is where God's grace comes in. When God calls you to do something, when God calls you to serve, He will give you everything you need to do it. He'll give you the resources. He'll give you the support. That is why as a pastor, I never get down about us needing folks to serve in particular areas in Stapleton. Why? Because if God calls us to do something and we're intent on obeying Him, He will give us what we need to do it. And if we ever find ourselves in a situation where it looks like, well, we've got a ministry that would be good, we just don't have the people to run it, but everybody agrees that we need to do it, that means one of two things. Either we're mistaken about the necessity of that ministry, or we're right about the necessity of that ministry, and somebody in our body is being disobedient and not serving where God has called them to serve. Those are the only two options. What did Paul say his qualifications were? He was called by God, by grace. That's what qualified him. He called him to preach among the Gentiles. He called him, he gave him a task. He didn't call him to sit soaking sour. You ever heard that before? Sit soaking sour. You know what happened? What's the difference between... I used to love camping. Now I'm lazy and scared. But I used to love camping. And there's a place up near Helen that I love to go to. It was not officially a campsite. They would let you camp there. And they posted, you can camp there, but if a bear eats you, it's not our fault. So I was like, okay. I don't think there will be any bears here. Fortunately, there weren't. There have been since, but there weren't then. I went walking the next day, me and some of my friends, and we looked off down the side of this little hill, and of all things, there was a waterfall. And I stank, because I'd been out there in in nature, and I wanted to feel clean. So what did I do? I went and jumped in it, and I stood under it and froze, because it was cold. But I came out feeling cleaner than I feel after most showers. Now, I want you to think about that and then turn around to think about that water puddle out behind your house 
that maybe we call a pond doesn't have any water flowing into it, doesn't have any water flowing out of it, it just sits there. And it's probably got this weird colored stuff growing on top of it. And you're glad that the water's a little bit cloudy because you're scared of what's actually in it. Would you go jump in that to get clean? What's the difference between the two? One of them is moving, the other's just sitting there. If you're in this church and you just sit there, and you never respond to the call of God because you're afraid you're not qualified, you're going to end up like that stagnant pond full of water, but you just don't feel clean. You just don't feel right. That's because God's called you to move. He's called you to flow. He's called you to run. He's called you to work. That's what, keeps you, that's what keeps you cool. That's what keeps you fresh. Otherwise, you sit, you soak, and you sour. So God called Paul. He gave him a task, and he jumped on it, and he revealed Christ to him. Matthew 16, 15-17. This is Jesus. He said to them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Paul did not need multiple other people. Let me tell you something. When, when Jesus gets a hold of you, when you actually repent and you turn and you give your life to Christ, you don't have to ask somebody, Now how's my life supposed to be different? He'll take care of it. I promise. He'll take care of changing you. He'll take care of adjusting you. He'll take care of cleaning you up. You don't have to say, okay, now how am I supposed to feel? When God reveals Jesus to you, He changes you. When God qualifies you for something, He qualifies you. Paul did not feel the need to earn, he didn't have to adjust his message to get these other people to like him. He didn't have to adjust his message to make it more popular. He didn't have to adjust his message to make it more palatable. Listen, y'all, there's some things about Stapleton Bat. Now, I, I love I love doing things differently. I love adding new wrinkles to things. Uh, I'm excited about doing Advent this year for Christmas. That's going to be fun. That's going to be a new way to celebrate the, the Christmas season. That's going to be a new way to celebrate Jesus' birthday. But let me tell you all something. There's some things about Stapleton Baptist Church that on my watch are just flat not going to change. One of them is this big old pulpit. You know why I like this big old pulpit? I'll tell you why I like this big old pulpit. And there, there are plenty of other pastors I love to death. They, they preach off a stand. I've preached off a stand before. If this pulpit were to, you know, have to be moved for something like Vacation Bible School, which we've done before, I'll preach off a stand again. But do you know why I like this pulpit? It's hard to move. You know why pulpits are big and heavy and hard to move? There's actually a message in that. That the Word of God is central and it's difficult to get out of the way. That's why pulpits are built like this. There's a reason. It ought to be hard to get this out of the way. You've got to think about moving this pulpit out of the way. It's a hard decision. It ought to be difficult. I'm not ever going to water this down. Why? Because I'm not interested in pleasing people with my message. I'm interested in seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ preached and your life change. That's what I'm interested in. And if one day, and I pray this never happens and I don't see it happening, but if one day this church were to ever say, Josh, do you know, you talk about that blood a lot. You talk about the cross a lot, and, and we're really trying to reach a group of people today that the talk of this blood is really off-putting. So if you don't stop, we're going to vote you out and get somebody more palatable. I'll throw the keys at you and smile on the way out and say that you don't need me anymore. Because the message of the gospel doesn't move. It doesn't change. 
I'm not interested in pleasing people. I'm interested in pleasing the one who enlisted me. He called me in His grace. He qualified me. And if He's called you to service, whatever that might be, He called you and He qualified you too. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. Well, I don't feel qualified. He qualified you. Serve and be overjoyed that He has a use for you in His kingdom. He doesn't need you to serve. He wants you to. Standing up here is a blessing. Teaching a Sunday school class is a blessing. Being on the hospitality committee is a blessing. Serving anywhere in this church, you might serve. It's a blessing. Serve. Stand up. God, to where have you called me? If He calls you, qualify you. And second, no earthly recognition is needed for God to use you. Look at verse 18. Then after three years, but he leads into this from the previous passage, I got excited. Verse 16, when he called me to reveal his son to me that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. If Paul was trying to establish himself as, hey, you ought to listen to me. Hey, you ought to pay attention to me. What would have been the easiest way for him to do it? For him to show the stamp of approval of the other twelve. But you know what else that would have done? That would have given the false impression that the twelve were the ones who had authorized him to do his job. Had Paul gone to Jerusalem and Paul stood before Peter and Paul stood before James and Paul stood before John and he had asked their permission and said, God has called me to be an apostle and I would love to serve him if you would give me leave to do so. Thank you very much. What that would have done is that would have, they would have been the ones that qualified him. They would have been the ones that recognized him. God would not have got the glory for that. So Paul tells these folks, I, I didn't go up there to get recognized by them. I don't need their recognition. I don't need them to even know what I look like. We've talked about false gospels and false preachers in here before. And in a book that Paul is reprimanding a church for listening to them, I feel like it's appropriate for me as a pastor to warn you. One of the quickest ways for you to identify a fraud behind a pulpit is when that preacher begins self-promoting. When that preacher begins promoting his brand... That is the quickest way to tell you're dealing with a fraud. Paul says, the apostles didn't even know what I looked like. Not until I finally went to go see Peter and James and I stayed there 15 days, but they're the only two I saw. I, don't, I didn't need their approval. I didn't need their recognition. God called me to serve. I serve at His pleasure. God qualified me to serve. I serve at His pleasure. And I want to give you a word of caution. I'll read verses 21 through 24 first. Afterward, I went in the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea who were in Christ. Y'all, Paul said if I had walked into one of these churches in Judea, they would not have even known who I was. Now, he's an apostle now. If there was such a thing as a rank in the church, he had the highest rank you could get. He was an apostle. And he says, I was so low profile that had I walked into a church in Judea, they would not have even recognized my face. I want to caution you, church, while I'm calling you to serve. There is a dark part of your human nature somewhere deep in you. I know it's there because it's in all of us. There is a deep, dark part of our human nature 
that desires recognition. It desires people to see us and appreciate us and thank us and want us and recognize us and pay attention to us. We went to go visit some family this weekend, and I get, there, there are two cute little dachshunds that we have in our family. I, I love them. And when I went to go see them, I was petting one of them, and the other one kind of started shuffling a little bit toward me and looking at me going, Arr, Arr, like he kept getting closer and closer and closer. And it kind of dawned on me, he had not wanted anything to do with me until I started petting the other one. Then he was upset at getting paid attention to. Let me tell you something. I want to, in, in, in this message, relieve from you the fear that, well, what if I'm not qualified to serve? Listen, if God has called you, you are qualified to serve. You serve at His pleasure. You don't serve at my pleasure. If, if you want to go share the gospel with somebody out in the community, you don't have to call me and ask me for my permission. You don't have to do it. If you know a family that's hungry and, and they need food, you don't need my permission to go buy them groceries. If God's called you to do something, you do it. I want, I want you to, 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 to know that. That the same way that God called Paul by His grace and the same way that God qualified Paul, He can call you by His grace and qualify you. But, beware this dark little monster inside your heart that seeks to be recognized for doing what you did. Look out for that. Paul said, I didn't, I didn't go down there. I didn't go say, look at me, I'm a new apostle. I didn't go down there to get approved by them. I didn't go down there to introduce myself to all the churches and say, hey, I'm the new guy in town. I went there when I needed to for business and then I left afterward and I went, I went back. Went to Syria and Cilicia. I wasn't looking for people's recognition. Verse 23, but they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy and they glorified God in me. The only recognition you ought to be looking for is for people to look at your life and recognize that Jesus has made you someone different than you were before. That's the only recognition you ought to be looking for. People ought to recognize that you're different. That's it. Pastor's manifesto, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. That's what I want. That's my dream. That's the dream. I'm not interested in having my, my name up on a poster or on a marquee or having my name on a big display in Lifeway. Not that I'm saying the guys who have their name on big displays in Lifeway are bad guys. I love them. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm not in this to be famous. I'm not in this to gain a following. I'm in this to see Jesus' following grow. And be careful when Jesus calls you to serve that Satan doesn't tempt you to seek your own recognition and seek you to build your own kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 2 through 4, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret... Will, will himself reward you openly. When you do something in obedience to God, when you respond to His calling and grace, when you respond to what He's qualified you to do, you do it for Him. You don't do it for anybody else. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.4 No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. I know there are some of you in here who served in the military and I'm very thankful for your service. We owe you a great debt of gratitude. We do. When your ranking officer tells you to do something... Does it matter when somebody of equal rank makes a suggestion to you for how you ought to have done that differently? No, you do exactly what your commanding officer tells you to do. Why? Because he's your boss. 
You're seeking to please Him. You're seeking to obey Him. You want to make Him happy. You want to please Him. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it's impossible to please Him for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Well, Josh, is it fair? Should you really be telling people serve God so that He will reward you? Yes! That's exactly what I'm telling you. I'm telling you to serve God seeking His reward, not so that He will be pleased with you. No, He's pleased with you based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But don't you know that God has promised blessings to His children who obey Him and serve Him? If you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be interactive again. I'll just, so that there can be a witness for everybody in here. If you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Master, and you have ever experienced a blessing directly related to you serving Him, stick your hand in the air. Yes, I'll raise two. Okay? Y'all, God's good. He is. And I'm not saying like he's like, you know, the gumball machine. Like if you go in the store, you see a little gumball machine and you put the coin in it and it puts a little prize out. God's not like that. I'm not saying do a good thing, get a good thing. Do a good thing, get a good thing. I'm saying that there are blessings for serving God. They're not always tangible. Sometimes they are. Sometimes he just gives somebody a nudge and says, hey, you need to encourage that person because they're having a rough day. You ever had somebody just come up to you and say, hey, I just felt like I needed to tell you, you're doing a great job. I love you. You're, you. You encourage me. You ever had somebody do that? I have. I've had God take care of expenses that I didn't even know were coming until they got there and he provided for them beforehand. Within $10 of what I needed. I'm not lying. Y'all, God's good. And when you serve God, hoping to be rewarded by Him, what you're effectively telling the world is that I believe what God has is better than everything y'all have. I would rather serve Him than serve you. That's a powerful witness for who God is. That we don't desire to be recognized by anybody other than Him. We don't desire to please anybody other than Him. We don't serve anybody other than Him. Who's your boss? Because Paul said, God's my boss. Your pastor's saying God's his boss. And for you this morning, I want to offer this to you. Who's yours? He's a controversial individual, but I'll quote him anyway. John Calvin had this to say about humanity. That our hearts are little idol factories. Because we are created to worship. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe in a God. You're going to worship a God. It just might not be the God. You're either going to worship your, yourself, you're going to worship money, you're going to worship sex, you're going to worship work, you're going to worship uh, recognition, you're going to worship your reputation, you're going to worship something because you're built as a worshiping being. And whatever you worship, that's your boss. If your boss is your reputation, then you'll do anything it takes to preserve it. If your boss is your money, you'll do whatever it takes to get it. If your boss is sex, you'll do whatever it takes to get it. If your boss is your job, you'll work however many hours it takes to be promoted. And you will sacrifice your family, your friends, your relationship, your bank account. You will, that's your God, and you'll worship it. You will sacrifice it on that God's altar. And you know what? There is only one God who responds to our action. That's because there's only one God. You sacrifice to any other God, you, I mean, you may as well just light whatever you're giving on fire. It's gone. Nothing's going to come of it except destruction and letdown. 
So if you're here today and you're worshiping another God or you're rejecting the God of the Bible, let me ask you the great question that only Christians can ask confidently. How's that working for you? How's it working for you? My Jesus is working great for me. I'm happy in Jesus. I am. I've never wanted to trade him in for another God. So if you've tried everything else and it's not working, maybe you got the wrong boss. If you're lost, you've got a few different ways you can respond here today. Uh, you can either come down the aisle, Joyce and Abby are about to lead us in a couple verses of a hymn. You can come down the aisle, you can, you can speak to me. We'll set up a time at a later date to speak, maybe this afternoon, to speak uh, more at length. You can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin. We can follow up with you. You can catch me at the back door on the way out. I just don't want you to leave today if you know you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is prompting you. Maybe you feel like, you know what, I need to talk to that, that pastor up there about this. I don't have that relationship with God he's talking about. I want you to have an opportunity to talk to me about it. If you're here today and you're a Christian, here's your task in the invitation. This is a time for self-evaluation for you. Who is your boss? Has God called you to serve in some particular area that you're afraid you're not qualified, you haven't earned it? Leave that attitude, at the, leave that here today when you go home and don't, don't take it with you. If God has called you, God has qualified you. And you need to work to please the one who has enlisted you. The other part of your homework for you during invitation, if you look in your heart and you find out I've been serving for recognition, I want other people to recognize me, I want to be appreciated and that's what drives my service, you need to repent. That's sinful. Don't search for other people's recognition. Just look for God's. Serve Him faithfully, quietly. I'm going to pray if you need to come and come. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for everything you've given us, Lord. Thank you for being the one who calls us by grace and qualifies us and that I don't feel like I need to please uh, other people. But you know what? To be totally honest, Lord, sometimes I do. I fall into that trap. I'll just be totally honest. That it stresses me out and I would be a hypocrite if I did not say that it scares me to death sometimes that I am not pleasing other people. That's just total honesty. And Jesus, I repent. I did not do a good enough job of saying that during the sermon. That I'm terrified of the fact that I don't please people sometimes. That I can talk a big game, but it scares me to death. But you know what? That's my flesh. And I need to confess that. And I need to leave that at the altar. So that I won't be a hypocrite. Father, forgive me for being afraid that I've got to qualify myself to other people, that if I am serving you the way you have called me to serve, then I can rest in peace with that. And Father, I pray that for everybody else in here, that if they are terrified that they have not qualified themselves to other people, despite the fact that they are serving where you called them to serve, Lord, I pray you give them peace and freedom from that. And if there's somebody afraid to serve because they're afraid they're not qualified, I pray that you would break them of that too. Lord, I pray uh, forgiveness for those in here who have been serving, seeking recognition if they're in here. Lord, I pray you point that out in their hearts and bring them to repentance. And Lord, if there's somebody in here today who's afraid that they may not be qualified for a relationship with you, that you can call them by grace as well. Lord, that you would tell them that it's not about everything that they have to do, it's about everything you've done, and you would call them to repentance and faith and salvation today. In Jesus' name, amen.